Good evening. evening. It is hard to say good evening when the sun's still out, but it's definitely evening. So it's good to have everyone back out with us for our second half of our worship service. And we're going to cover something tonight that we've covered before. And of course, in our continual studies of the Bible, you're going to cover it over and over and over again. Think of one word, actually two words. I'm redeemed. What a wonderful expression to be able to say, I'm redeemed. Well, a child of God is going to understand what that redeemed word means unto someone. And someone, of course, was faithful in, in Christ. To what it means to be redeemed. Well, think of it this way, that you're guilty of something and you're held accountable for it, but you sentencing happens or you're, you're going to go into the punishment of this. Someone steps in and says, no, I've got this. That's what redeemed is about. We are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. As a child of God, when we come in contact with, with that through faithful obedience, through the hearing of His Word, God's Word, excuse me, through hearing of God's Word, understanding of God's Word, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and confessing that He is your Lord and Savior and immersion, that is baptism. Coming in contact with that is the blood of Jesus Christ. We learn also in 1 John uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 that if we have that fellowship with God, and of course with fellow Christians, that that blood continually cleanses us. That connection is important. That living out our lives, this walking in the light, is exceedingly important if we are going to say that I'm redeemed. It's not a bold statement, it's just a fact. Christ died on the cross for your sins. Christ died on the cross for my sins and sins who are not with us here tonight, whether it be choice or out of their control. Christ died for the world. Keep in mind, what does John 3, 16 teach us? That God loved the world to send His Son, and the Son loved the Father enough to go to the cross. The Son also loved you and I to go to the cross as well. So as we can be redeemed on Judgment Day. When we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus there, and he says something similar along these lines of redemption in Christ. But to be able to say, I'm redeemed, folks, that, again, that is a blessing. And it's a comfort. To be able to know that we can stand before God justified. Now that's not saying we don't sin. That's not saying that we don't fall short. By no means, none of us are able to do that. We all fall short daily. As Paul said in our class there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he says, I die daily. When we sin, when we fall short, yes, we die. We separate ourselves from God. We have, also, we have that escape. We can get redeemed from that sinful act. Now, going back to baptism before we get into this lesson, know what baptism does for you. Baptism washes your sins away. Are there, is there a necessity of multiple baptisms? I know there's confusion in that. I know there is. I've talked to folks, and they've been baptized four, five, six, and seven times. There's only one baptism. There's only one connection to God. There's only one access. There's one baptism. One. Just like there's one faith, one God, one faith, and also that one baptism. One. The number one. 
So why is this false doctrine out there that's, that tells folks or teaches folks that you need to be baptized again? There's only one. This insertion of man's thought into God's Word is where it comes from. To be added to the church, you've got to be baptized. We, we're going to make a decision to, if you want to come into, no, that's not our decision to make. That sounds a whole lot like we're judging folks, that being people. We don't do that here at Blue Chapel, of course. We welcome folks with open arms. Someone decides to choose to come to God through Christ, yes, open arms, we welcome. But that thing that we have to avoid, that thing we have to cast out of the church, and that is sin. Just as the church there in Corinthians in the very beginning of it that Paul was dealing with, and of course the church was rebuked in its participation in that, Paul told them they're deserving of death if they go along with it, which they are. And so as we are today as well, if we're going along with sinful things, we're allowing it, we're condoning it. We're guilty of that same death and we're worthy of it as well. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we can get redemption from those acts. Keep in mind the acts that we do, whether it be foul language coming out of our mouths, missing church, that's sin in and of itself, treat one another badly, spreading gospels, or not gospels, spreading rumors. We need to spread the gospel. That's not a sin. That's an instruction. Stealing. Lying. Adultery. And the list goes on of sinful things. We can get forgiveness or redemption of those things, of those acts. Keep in mind the things that we do not do, as we made mention of this morning in our Bible class. We made mention of the things that we do not do will condemn us as well. The Bible teaches us to go. Paul was teaching Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. Oh, I just lost it. I just lost Lost it all together. Whenever uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to go and preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy 3, it's not 16, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Whenever Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, what that says is give them the gospel. Teach and instruct exhort, rebuke, tell them to stop sinning when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. How many times have we been told that we're wrong? I've been told that many times. Going back to my everyday work at, at my job there at the campus, I'm wrong often. I've been got a, uh, accustomed to being wrong, which has part of being in the controls. But that's okay. That can be all corrected. Folks, we can be wrong in our spirituality we can get corrected as well. We think about that correcting act. We think about that something that needs to be repaired. Back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's think about this verse for just a second. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ most assuredly. We ask upon his blessings, and he is full of blessings himself. Who has blessed us, being Christians, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The blessings that we get, those 
spiritual blessings that we get that we take for granted. Huh? We take for granted our spiritual blessings. A lot of times we do. As people, we tend to forget who we are, that being a, a child of God when we're out there in the community. And we realize, well, wait, wait a minute, what, what I'm doing is wrong. What I'm doing, I need to stop doing this, whatever task, whatever thing that I'm participating in, I need to stop doing it. This happened to me, and I know it's happened to you. So God has blessed us with that opportunity as a child of God to say, I've shortcomed you. I've fallen short in your favor, and I'm going to stop doing it. This, say it's going along with adultery. Okay, that's the first thing popped in my mind because I was referring back to uh, the church in Corinth. So you're going along with adultery and saying, you know what, this is wrong. What I'm doing is it's wrong. So you talk to God. After immersion, now get right, this is a child of God. Don't, don't get me wrong. Someone who is outside of Christ does not have this opportunity at all. We get this redemption in Christ, and of course we access that at the beginning of this lesson through the blood of Christ by Immersion or baptism. Say we're guilty of this adultery. We come before our peers because that is a known sin. When we confess that sin, we stop doing it. We, 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 we cease in, in that act. We repented of it. We come before our peers. We come before our Christian family. And we confess that sin. I'm guilty in adultery and I need forgiveness. Guess what happens? As a child of God, we get that spiritual blessing yet again bestowed back unto us because we followed his instructions, that being God's instructions, not man's instructions. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, keep in mind that's a child of God, with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a lot of ends. That's, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of... Addition to this sentence. So let's look at the in Christ, the very end of verse 3. Excuse me. In Christ, what does it mean? Does it mean you just accepted him into your heart? No, that is not what that means. Does that mean that you believe that he is Jesus? Well, that's part of it, but that's not alone. Being in Christ means you have come in contact with him, period. There's no addition. There's no removal. There's no taking away from that command of immersion. I stress that because it's essential for your salvation. We find that in Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Who believes not is condemned already. You might read your Bible so many times, well, baptism isn't mentioned because it's implied. You've got to take it as a whole. But it's not mentioned here. It's, it's implied. Nothing changes. The, the gospel is a harmony. It continues to work. It's, it's fluid. It's continually moving. And when, when one part mentions baptism, well, we understand now we've got to be baptized. What else we got to do? James chapter 2 teaches faith and works. James, James chapter 2 doesn't say a thing about baptism because it's implied. It was wrote to Christians. They already had been immersed. They already were baptized for the remission of their sins. But God has blessed us with many, with every, excuse me, every spiritual blessings in Christ. So what that means to tell me in verse 3, if we think about that logically, with a level head, that says if we're not in Christ, spiritual blessings will not be bestowed unto us. That's exactly what that's teaching. 
There's a lot of folks out there in the world who are not connected to Christ. We know this. We can look in the world and see it. We can look in the community. We can look. We can be driving down the road and see it. Folks who are not living like Christ. I was in a scenario yesterday evening. We have pretty good friends in, in our little car club thing. and Of course, Melissa wasn't able to go there, and I was there by myself. And one child, which is she's a little bitty, and three adults. And everybody's spiritually minded. And one of their outside friends come in wanting to speak. Well, while the wife was there, he was throttling back his big words. When I say big words, I mean filthy language. When she left, out comes the words. I didn't want to hear them. So I said, I'm going to leave too. I shook my friend's hand and I walked away. I didn't want to hear those things because Jeremy used to participate in those things. I know what that results in. That results in death. I know Christ has redeemed me of those things because I stopped doing it. I don't even want to have any participation with it. That goes along with any sin that we're involved in. That one sin is just like any other sin. Notice in verse 4 as well. Just as he chose us in him, that in him is Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, without blame, before him in love. Verse 4 teaches a lot. We see the idea of God seeing time like that tunnel. Seeing the beginning, seeing the middle, seeing the end. Past, present, and future all at the same time. God chose us in Christ before anything. Before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy. Well, let's look at that word holy. That word holy is important for our spirituality. That word holy actually means to be set apart. That's all it means. A lot of folks say, well, it's, we're, we're better than one another. We're, you're, no, we're not. That would be exalting ourselves and understand that we cannot do that. We have to humble ourselves. That word holy is to be set apart, to not be of the world. We Our instructions, I believe it's Romans chapter 12. Let me get that right. Too far. <clears throat> I mean, the thought just occurred to me, so I did not have a bookmark in there. Yep, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The idea of holy, the idea of God choosing us to be without blame, that we should be holy before Him, that being God, in love. Right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. This is Paul writing to church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There's that word again. Holy, acceptable to, uh, acceptable, I can't speak, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See that word holy? See that word living sacrifice, which was an odd saying in the first century. Thus, Today, we are understanding of this living sacrifice because we have given up the world. We have given up sin. We died to it. We, therefore, a sacrifice had to happen. 
which is your reasonable service. Why can we say it's a reasonable service to be this holy and, and excuse me, acceptable to God and the, that, that living sacrifice? Why can we say, God, you're asking too much for me. It's too difficult. Yeah, I can think of one person who'd done it already. It's Jesus Christ. He done it. Which is, our, which is our reasonable service. God will not ask us to do anything beyond our means. He will not. And then verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. So the idea of being holy means to be not of this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This renewing process is a continual action. A continual process of in context, studying God's Word and applying it to your mind, applying it to your heart, making sure it's guiding in your life by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Whenever Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he told them that he was their seal of his apostleship. They were proving what he was doing was effective. They were, with their obedient acts, Paul's teachings was not in vain. Let's apply that to us today. When we learn from God's Word and we apply it to our lives, we stop sinning to the best of our ability. When we sin, when we fall short, we have that advocate, as in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that, that, he, that mediator that we can get forgiveness yet again the first the next four verses back from 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 which is 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 well, excuse me an 8 so we think about the idea of being faithful a lot of folks say it's too difficult I've heard that before it's supposed to be difficult it's supposed to be a difficult walk to be a child of God because the devil folks he's a smart individual he custom tailors our temptations to us. He gets us and he hunts us at our weakest point. He sounds like a predator of opportunity. He is. That's exactly what he is. So we think about living without blame, proving what is acceptable and perfect will of God. That's our reasonable service. To be redeemed in Christ to live faithfully is your reasonable service. Can we say that? Yes, we can because we have someone who has done it already, Jesus Christ. How much sin did he have? None. Not one. Yet yeah, he, died, he died a sinner's death. I understand that. But he died blameless. He was your sin-free, spotless sacrifice who's able to relate to you. Therefore, God now knows what it means to be human. The Son, being the mediator, can relate to us. So we need to be without blame in our everyday walk of life because we can always get rid of the sins we have done. By confession, by repentance. I always want to put confession first. By repentance, by confession, and then by prayer. Asking God to forgive you. And of course, it's a public sin. Someone can always assist you in that. And then verse 5. The word predestination is there. And, and well, predestined. 
And predestination has been misunderstood. Predestination has been taught that says you're saved no matter what. You can't be lost. You can live however you What? That sounds like false doctrine altogether. To say that I can go live however I want to. I can go sin. I can let sin abide in my heart and still be saved. Because I'm predestined? No, that is not what that says. Predestined is God seeing you standing before him justified on judgment day. Before he created anything. Before the foundations of the world. As there was still darkness. Before there was a plan of salvation. Before there was a need of a plan of salvation. If you notice something. If you... if. If you want to study that what it took to create the plan of salvation or to orchestrate it or to be able to think about it and to lay it all out and to have everything fall in its place. Folks, that took genius. I'm thankful that Jeremy does not have to come up with a plan of salvation because it's going to fail. Because I'm human. I'm a man. It will fail. We're talking about God's plan of salvation. If you look at Adam and Eve, how long did it take God to plan his plan of salvation? Almost instantly. How could he do that? Because he already knew that they were going to see him. He already knew that you're going to be sitting here in this audience tonight before anything was created. He had done had the plan of salvation created whenever Satan was cast out of heaven. He didn't have any plan. Having predestined us to adoption. Well, that word adoption. Keep in mind, we're going to back up to that one. As sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That sons can be translated children. Because ladies, you're included. You're not, you're not excluded. Sons mean, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's gender, what does it say, uh, exclusion. No, it's not. You're included. That's to talk about mankind. Let's look at that word adoption. Hmm. When did this adoption take place? I didn't have any act in this adoption. I didn't, I didn't have to do anything. You did. This adoption happened when you heard the word, when you believed it, when you confessed it, when you repented, when you repented, you confessed. I get those two mixed up. Whenever I repent, when I confess, I'm immersed, then I become adopted. Christ takes me in. Excuse me, God takes me in through His Son. And He sees me just like His only begotten Son. Folks, we're included in that. We can be adopted in that manner according to the good pleasure of His will. That's God's will. If I was to ask you in a general question, what's God's will? Someone probably saying, well, that that uh, someone in an ignorant answer would say, well, God's will is to have world peace. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? It will one day, but not, not while people are in charge, right? So what would, what would be God's will? God's will is that none should be lost. That's his will. He doesn't want any of his creation to be lost on judgment day. That falls in our court. So my question tonight, what's our will? Is our will to be saved on judgment day?
Or is our will to be, I don't care. The world says, well, I don't care. And that's very sad. Carrying on in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What's the word accepted mean? Accepted. Accepted means you have fulfilled this. My, my, my mechanical mind goes to something mechanical. Say it's a car. A car passed all the inspections. It's good. That word accepted comes to mind. It's accepted. Roll to the sales floor for it to be sold. It's accepted, right? All the criteria was made. Are we accepted? Oh, hope so. Because we can be unaccepted on judgment day. We can be the opposite of redeemed on judgment day. If we're redeemed, we're going to look like Christ. If we're redeemed, we're going to be accepted. We're going to fill all the criteria. We're going to miss no steps. We're not going to shortcut, if you will. We're not going to try to come through the window or, or over the wall and through the roof. We're going to come through the door. That door being Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved. That beloved is Jesus Christ. In him, that being Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Turn, keep your finger there in Ephesians. Turn back over with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start putting a jump tab in my Bible because I go there often. Romans chapter 5. We talk about grace. We talk about God's grace. and Oh, that's too many. Let me, let me go back one page. My pages stick together. I knew that didn't look right. Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 18. Starting in verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That, that first man there is Adam, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, that being Jesus Christ, the righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. This idea of redemption, of justification. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. That's the origination of sin and us having to uh, suffer the consequences of that act even into this day. Excuse me. So also by one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, will, many will be made righteous. Future tense. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Let's take notice of verse 20. How much grace does God have? Well, more sin in the world. How much sin is in the world? It is overrun. It is overrun with sin. My mind goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Do your minds go somewhere else? The flood? Ananias and Sapphira? Just a few examples of sin and the destruction which ensues or follows. But my, my mind goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because what's standing today of Sodom and Gomorrah? 
nothing. Still in destruction. Look what sin does to us. It destroys us. But thankfully God has more grace than that. We can be made righteous. We can stand justified. If and only if we have the forgiveness of sins like verse 7 is talking. Listen to, very, listen to it very carefully. <clears throat> in him, keep in mind Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That riches of his grace is God's grace. It can be extended to us tonight. If we have stepped out of that grace, if we have succumbed to sin, if we've taken ourselves out of this connection to Christ's blood, because we can do this. It's an option. It's a sad option, but it's an option nonetheless. My mind goes back to Judas. As he was listening to Christ in his teachings, he should have listened a little harder. He might have even still um, betrayed Christ for the price of a slave. He might have still done that. But then he could have got forgiveness of that sin. He could have. But he couldn't bear it. It was too much to bear. He went out and killed himself. Now that's a sin that can't be forgiven because you die. You die in your sins. But thankfully... The good pleasure of God's will is that none should be lost. Unfortunately, many will be. But it's God's will that it should. And that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Sounds like a contradictory uh, voice or a contradictory statement. Keep in mind, God sent His Son so that we might not be lost as people. He didn't send, him, he just didn't send His Son to condemn the world but that those who believe in him might be saved. Redemption. It, like I said, what a wonderful thing to think about. To be redeemed. A lot of folks say, oh, we deserve salvation. No, we don't. We don't. We're fallible human beings. We short God daily. We do not deserve his grace. But it's extended, it is extended to us, thankfully. And I am thankful it does. Because without that grace, without that redemption, all would be lost. Keep in mind, the will of God is that none should be lost. He sent himself, his son, which was God, to take on sin. Previous to his death, I know we like our minds go to Christ's death on the cross. My mind goes to him taking on sin. Taking on Jeremy's sins. So he doesn't have to be held accountable for them on judgment day. If I ask for forgiveness, if I try my best to not abide in sin. We have redemption in his blood. God's grace is extended to us. Then and only then, we can be holy, we can stand apart from the world and we can look like Christ if and only if we're faithful. Carry on in verse 8. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, 
having made known to us the mystery of his will. Oh, that word mystery. That's a wonderful study. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the, of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in him. A lot of folks think about heaven. That's something that should stay on our minds often. It's at home with our Heavenly Father. A lot of folks say we're just going just gonna to be a, a, around God. No, we're going to be in God. Take notice of what heaven's all about. Because there is no need for, there is no separation. There's no need for the sun. You might say, what? We made that study this morning in Bible class. When Christ, there's no need for the kingdom in Christ. There's no need for that. There's no need for faith. There's no need for a belief. There's no need for any of these things anymore because everybody will be in heaven. Everybody will be in God. Everybody will see him in his presence. What a wonderful thought. But before that, we need to ask ourselves a question. Am I redeemed? Because we can say I'm redeemed all day long, but we need to ask ourselves, am I redeemed because if we can answer, well, I might be, that answer is no. I might be redeemed, that answer is no. You're not redeemed if you think you might or might not be. You can know without a shadow of doubt that where you stand is in a sin-free life. Now, when I say sin-free, I don't mean that we don't sin. That means that we are forgiven. We are redeemed. We have repented of our sins, we have confessed of our sins, and we ask God to forgive us of those sins, then and only then are our sins covered. That covered is important. Christ's blood does that for us. And that's how we're redeemed. And that's the only way that we can say that I am redeemed. We can lie to ourselves. Oh, let's think, let's think about that word. Let's think about that for just a second or 12. <laughs> Turn with me to 1 John. First John chapter 1. Because a lot of folks are deceiving themselves. Let's not deceive ourselves in verse 8. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. <clears throat> we can say that we're redeemed. We can be lying to ourselves, but keep in mind, God knows us better than we do. And he knows that when we're lying, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ooh, we deceive ourselves because we're not going to deceive God. Mm -mm. We're not. Satan is the orchestrator of deception and God can see right through it. So whenever we think about being redeemed, are we telling the truth or are we lying to ourselves? Saying that, yeah, I've got this one sin. Oh, but I'm blessed. Oh, I've seen that so much. I'm blessed. I heard a reaction to someone. But the reason, they asked them the reason why they were doing the things that they were doing. It was either stealing or something like that. They looked right at that camera and it says, I am blessed. Huh? Not the opposite of blessed, you're condemned. You're outside of Christ. You're sinning willfully. That sacrifice for your sins does not exist for your sins. You haven't succumbed to 
the will of God. No, we must do it. We must succumb to the will of God so we can honestly and truly say, I am redeemed. Again, that's a wonderful thought. To be able to stand before our Heavenly Father completely unafraid. Completely unafraid. You remember what Paul said at the end of his life? For, us, for me to live is Christ, but to die is to what? Gain. Not to be afraid, but gain. He knew that what was coming afterwards is way better than here. Yes, he had a big, tall order to fill. That being the teaching the, uh, teaching the Gentiles. That's, you and I, we're still learning from it. But to go on to that place that Christ we referred to this morning, that he goes on to prepare a place for us, where the, when his, his father's house is many mansions, oh yes, Paul knew it was way better. He was unafraid. We can be unafraid today. We can look within ourselves and we can be justified and say, I am redeemed. And that's if and only if we have no sin. We're not abiding in sin right now. We're trying our best. We're struggling with our spirituality. When we fall short, we ask for forgiveness, repent of it, confess of it. Not in that order. But I want to think about, I want you to think about one thing. Are you redeemed? I hope so. And if that's an answer is no, we've, we've chosen the song for the invitation and I want us to think long and hard before walking out of these doors because it may be your last visit, your last opportunity to, to get right in the eyes of God to be redeemed. Do you need to be redeemed tonight? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing the song of the invitation?